Hello and welcome back to Portrait of an Editor. I am Francis Lombard. In this episode of Cropped, Will Dennis and I try something different. Will brought Lee Lowridge onto the podcast to talk about his approach to coloring. We also cover Lee's day-to-day and monthly schedules, creating a palette for a new series, the physical toll of his work, the early days of digital coloring, and Lee's take on working at home. Sorry about the delays on getting new episodes out, but here we are, and I hope to do this on a weekly basis for some time. Welcome back to Portrait of an Editor. Enjoy this episode. Thank you. Will, with Lee on the line, you can finally ask him that question regarding what the hell does he do after you tell him, give him 30 pages to color? I have no idea, Francis. Believe me. As I said, it's just like magic. I send it out, I sit back, and I check my other emails and wait for it to come back. I was going to say, I just sent him off to, to Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, and then I get kids, children, like they're not that i mean they're yes they're prepubescent but they're like 10 and 12 and then they do it and then i put a little polish on it in an hour or two and then charge porn sack a bunch of money and then i'm done and then i I, then i'm on a podcast Uh, so i didn't i should have prefaced this call with saying that lee this is you're getting the you're getting the lee character is it for sure their, their hands are small enough to really get the details down? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think just because they're children, they don't need much money. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what's with your fascination is with small hands, but that was... Uh, just, okay. Well, all right. If I'm, you want, I'm finally... I, they can finally cancel this podcast, which would be great. This will be the last episode. This will be the last episode of Portrait of an Editor Cropped. <laughs> This is actually a method to my madness to stop having to do this every month was to get Lee on and then we'll just get canceled and that'll be the end of it. I can get you canceled real quick. (laughs) I know. I know. This is my fear. So, all right. So I got 30 pages of this final issue. Sent it to you. Generally tell you, okay, here's when we need to get it back. It's always, you know, soon, obviously, but like... What happens then? Like, what, what, what do you, what do you, you know, I, I don't spend, we don't spend a lot of time. We don't get on the phone. We don't talk it over. I don't no, exactly, generally, exactly. you know. Exactly. So what, what's the, what's the process? I just sent you a thing saying you got 30 pages, like, and we need them in, you know, a week, like go, like, what do we do? Well, maybe I'll, let me, let me back it up a little. Let's, let's say it's the first issue. Okay. And then, uh, so like even with porn sack, he sent me that first uh, couple pages and then I'll usually I'll see the art. And especially for that book, I wanted to do something more simplistic, more palette driven and just minimal modeling, that type of thing. But obviously I haven't seen the art. So usually I'll see the art and pick a style. I think work will work best for that art without uh, overpowering it or stepping on it. And luckily with Pornsack, uh, I think I nailed it out of the gate. He was concerned about the dots mooring at one point, but mm-hmm. it sure wouldn't happen. So, you know, we played around with some pages a few times, and uh, we got to it pretty quick. But, you know, like Pornsack I've worked with for years as you. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So he kind of knew what he was going to get, I think, when he asked me anyways. So usually I'll get, right, right. I'll get that book in its entirety, and I immediately – well, that actually, that book, I flat a lot of it. And I don't know how in-depth do I have to get with flatting for people, but it's usually someone preps the pages where trace around all the shapes. So it's like mm-hmm. Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown has – Caucasian skin with a yellow shirt with whatever black shorts. Um, and that prep a lot of times will save me, you know, up to an hour. So when I get it back, I can just grab those selections and work much more quickly. Are flatters like choosing colors at that point? Like in terms of, particularly when you're doing stuff where it's like this very, you know, very could be a really low, small range of colors. And that's like a big part of it is the kind of, you know, working within a pretty narrow range of colors. Like, are they making those initial choices? Are you yeah. sending them stuff saying like, hey, this is you're like how, how art directed on your end to the flatter is it? Or are they just literally circling the shapes and sending it back? So I, I tell my flatter, um, E. Kenneth, who's the best, um, mm-hmm. I want everything vanilla. I want blue skies, green trees, green ga- grass. You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. I want it mm-hmm. as like standard issue as possible. Don't don't okay. uh, don't flat anything as a night scene or a desert scene or anything like that. I'll do it, um, and then usually I'll work from there. But like a, with a, most of good Asian, I flatted a lot of that because then the process changes. So like I'll take a scene out of that. And I was I was doing a lot of like odd making a lot of odd choices there. Like I did a hot pink noir night scene, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is which I thought would be cool, and um, I think it was. So I mm-hmm. start with the brightest pink I have, which is just magenta one hundred, and then I'll usually I'll go back in with selections or a brush at a specific opacity with a darker tone or you know different tone. At, you know, maybe 30 or 40% and just start building it like a painting. So mm-hmm. every day monochromatic. And then usually at the end, if I want to hit like a crazy highlight throughout the scene, I'll do that last. Mm-hmm. So it's just with his pages, I, I actually chose to flat most of it. Uh, it probably, I probably flatted 60% of that series um, because it was just, I, I like building the palette better that way. Cause when it's flatted, like everything's vanilla, I've got to bring it back down to that monochromatic mm-hmm. style, which, you know, it's not that easy to do without it having look, look, uh, like you're really cheating, you know, when you and go so back. you're, you're working in Photoshop. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And now, so do you, will you select like a range of, colors to kind of work from or are you just pulling from like every color that ever was color you know kind of thing like are you do you have like a anywhere like a tool or a template someplace that's sort of like okay i want to like i know the 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 general main colors i want to work within or i mean how you know i have a specific like my you know static palette but if i if i i'll look at a scene if it's four pages i'll go all right, I want this entire scene to be teals with a like a pale yellow highlight, mm-hmm. and I'll usually do that last. So then I'll I'll dictate that scene. I'll I'll pick, color the entire pages teal green first, 
and then I'll start building. So I'll build it forward first, you know, mm-hmm. getting adding colors on top of that, and then I'll separate my planes last, you know, for middle background, and then at the, mm-hmm. the well, really the final thing I'll do is add that, especially with that book. I'll add some odd highlight, you know, that's coming from some maybe sometimes a fake light source just to give right. it more, more of a hit and more drama. Right. Yeah. Like definitely like porn tech and I, even from our vertigo days would always much more prefer to lean on colors like that could make dramatic moments, like, you know, kind of sing a little bit better, even if it was outside of the range of like the natural colors that you might otherwise have in a scene. Like some people don't want to like break that, you know, bubble of like it's all this color and it's all natural and it's all whatever it's like you know we're i mean you definitely ask for a lot of that we'd ask for a lot of those things and particularly in books like this and i know like on the losers we used to do it too where it was just like just make this background like hot pink you said or bright yeah you know something that's just totally out there because it puts this like stamp on that particular moment that you're trying to highlight for the reader you know how much of the script are you engaging with like if you have copy of the script i mean the scripts you know they may indicate day night etc but like i mean are yeah, you I'll, i read the whole script mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll skim like if if i start a book i'll usually i'll go scene by scene mm-hmm. you know and then i'll, I'll usually I'll, it depends on the book like i'll obviously i'll look at all the art first and see how many scenes there are because i don't want to pick some weird ass palette that's going to be 18 pages. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So it's, it, I definitely will think about where we're headed. Um, but I'll, I'll usually look at all the art and then break it into those scenes from the script. But I love notes, you know, daytime notes, nighttime notes, all, you know, the, the alarm goes off, everything's bathed in red. Tell me that, mm-hmm. you know, but it, uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely will read the script. I think it's important because uh, there's always something there's always a note how much work have you done prep work or conversation have you done at the beginning of the series or even throughout the series with the artists themselves uh not a ton really um you know a lot of times like i'm just starting a book now where like i just sent him two pages uh you know from one scene and i just said this is this is the tone i think works for this what do you think i love it now i go and and so i i'm just i guess the artist will just have to trust hey if you like those handful of pages now trust me to finish the book and then we'll know after that you know if he if he or she has any have any uh edits after that we'll go with it but i think i've done this long enough where you kind of know what you're getting or you know why the hell are you calling me yeah, I mean, there's definitely, that's, you know, as you said, like at the beginning, it was like backing up to the first issue. Like there's conversations with the, the writer and the colorist. There's often conversations with the artist and, you know, all of the team together that, you know, depend, a lot of times, like as the editor, I'm always trying to gauge how much involvement do they want? How much involvement should they have? You know, you never fully the times when I've given like an artist full reign to deal with it, it it doesn't generally end very well, you know, because I haven't really met yet the artist that's a hundred percent happy with the end result they get, you know? Right. 
and oftentimes like, you know, sometimes then they'll go on and like, Oh, I'm going to color myself. And and sometimes it works. And sometimes it's a total shit show, you know, later on, like when they want to take over the reins, because particularly when you're dealing with people like Lee who make it, the end product look very simple when in fact, it's clearly, obviously there's like a lot of thought and planning and experience that goes into making it look like that way. And I think that's true in comics in general, anytime that something looks very simple, whether it's like a, a Darwin Cook or a John Paul Leone or like the way Lee colors those things. It looks simple to the outside person, but in fact, like that's the most difficult stuff. Like drawing every blade of grass is actually a lot easier than like what like a John Paul Leone would do in terms of taking away all of that and just showing you what your brain needed to see to connect the dots as you read it, you know, sort of thing. So yeah, it's interesting. It, it is it, it, always for me, I don't feel like I really know what I'm doing when it comes to coloring stuff. So for me, it was always just hire the best people and then let them do it. And then I can go back to sleep or I can go back to whatever the hell it is I do all day long, you know? Yeah. We won't get into that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We're going to be, this thing will never see the air, but the, uh, you know, but there are other editors that, you know, shall remain nameless who like want to go in there and like, you know, knock out every panel and go dive into every choice you've made and that sort of stuff. And I don't feel like I ever was enough. I don't have a background in this kind of stuff to know, you know, how to necessarily art direct that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like, there is a lot of preliminary stuff that happens and some of it's formal and some of it's informal, but then once you get going, I think you're right. It's like, you just show them the two pages and say, what do you think of this approach? Like if you showed them 22 pages, like their head would probably explode and you'd be spending six months like trying to interpret notes and deal with the shit and, you know, navigate the personalities involved and everything, you know? And some artists are picky, you know, I'll, I'll do that and then send the issue off and then they'll have a lot of notes because, you know, I think some people have a hard time. What's in your head you perceive is the right way. And then you hand it off to someone else it's hard for some people to step out of that and go, well, no, that it's different than mm-hmm. I had head, but some guys will, will let that go and go, yeah, I'm going to trust them. It's not exactly what I thought. It's like when someone draws a scene, you know, it, it might not be what you had in your mind when you wrote it, but it, yeah. it may fact be better or it may be equal, right. but it's, it's also that person's interpretation of what it. Yeah. What I mean, it, I'm always saying to that, like we just started working with a new writer on a couple other projects and, trying and he's coming over from like the music business and doing stuff and he's really trying to learn a lot of stuff from the ground up but that's a big conversation with me is just sort of like at the end of the day like no one's going to get exactly what they want it's like this is the problem we have in society is just like in terms of compromising on whatever it is it's like you got to give up a little bit so whatever it is it's not going to look exactly drawn like you see it in your head and the artist is going to feel like it's not exactly colored the way maybe he wants it or she wants it. And, you know, ultimately it's, but like you said, the end product can often be better than, you know, where you had it, you know, started from the starting point. But Yeah, I think so. That's why it's a collaborative, right? Yeah. You're also dealing with economics too, because you're closer to the deadline, you know? Oh yeah. You have a long history of work and then also the economics where the colorist sits at the deadline that making decisions and having the luxury of being able to work things over again has disappeared or, you know, depends. It really depends if the other folks, you know, in front of you kept their deadlines, but still, 
you're still getting crunch times getting closer and closer. So, you know, having that freedom to be able to make decisions and not be second guessed probably allows you to be as creative as you possibly can be under the stress that I mean, under the deadlines that you're under. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And I'll usually uh, uh, like judge how I'm going to approach a uh, a project right around the time I get issue one. Because if issue one's already late, I know where we're headed and I know I'm not going to have a lot of time. So, and again, I always try to steer more simplistic, provided the art needs it and, um, or allows for it. But I'll, I'll usually keep things sometimes, like you're saying, for economic sake, because I know we're in trouble. If we're already like, if you're, if you're giving me five days issue one, then I know that by issue three, we're, I'm going to have two days, three days. I famously quote Lee to everybody who will listen to me that he told me years ago, shit rolls downhill. That was his yeah. favorite. That was his famous quote to me when it would, you know. When I came up with that quote, I was the first one to ever come up with that quote. <laughs> <laughs> Trademarked it like March Madness, I think. I But the, um, yeah, and it was just sort of, it served me well over the years when it comes to, it. Lee is a guy who like never really, chirped about that kind of stuff always understood kind of where it was at and i've definitely used those words over the years to people in terms of and it's not just like oh went went like sorry shit rolls downhill kind of thing but just the sense that like as you say like the first, someone's got to have to pay for this you know so even if i've used it over the years as a bludgeon against you know a writer that couldn't get their act together or an artist who couldn't get the pages and it's like look there's all these other people counting on you not just to deliver the work and deliver it and be and make this work as great as it can be, but they're also counting you for like a livelihood. Like they were planning on getting that payment this month for, you know, whatever the issue is, not like the three months that you need to wait for the muse to descend and get your goddamn pages done, you know? So, I mean, it's definitely, I've, I've definitely quoted that many, many times over the years, you know? And there's also the other thing that you mentioned that, at the beginning, you wanted to use a limited palette with the good Asian. And so, right. but was there are moments of discovery saying like in the first and second issues, but as the series progressed and you're up to what, I think the run was 10 issues? Or Correct. 10, yeah. 12. So um, did you, did your palette get even smaller, limited, or were you able to just sort of zero in on what you were going to use? And then, okay, this is a night scene in a nightclub. I bring this back. You know, if it's the same in the script, if it's in this, if it's the same location, yeah, I'll bring it back. But if not, you know, that, that can get you into trouble too. Like if someone writes 15 night scenes in five issues, <laughs> you know, it's tough to, to get around all of it. But no, I think that book, I didn't, that, that book was a blast. I, I, I could do that forever. That, that's a, that's a treat. Like a book like that or deadly class. That's mm-hmm. like right in my wheelhouse. But like Will said, it 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 does move quickly after the initial palettes are done. But there is mm-hmm. there's a good amount of thought, and I've done stuff where I've done scenes, and then I'll go back and change it entirely when I'm finished because it's just not I don't know it's not working mm-hmm. for for me. Um, but it is easier to tweak that kind of stuff when it's simple rather than full dipped in oil modeled stuff. So like when you, so, so, you know, you do the flatting, you get the stuff, you've established the palette. 
I mean, what are you looking at in terms of like working hours, working days? You work like, a, do you try to work like in a certain, you know, time of the day? Do you try to work like a regular nine to five? Do yeah. you try to, you know, I mean, <laughs> no, I have my, I have strict hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I get started in the morning immediately and then I'll go nonstop till noon or one. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, or or noon sharp. I did start eating at like twelve oh one today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but oh I am a, I get like a four hour stretch, no interruptions to get going. Mm-hmm. Then I eat lunch, then I come back up, and that's usually after lunch I'll do corrections or other stuff like that. And then I'll probably probably from two to five, I'll if I'm not slammed, I'll go surf or do something I want to do that day but mm-hmm. then i'll i'll work after dinner every night mm-hmm. whether it's more color or writing but I, i'll go back to it usually from like seven to nine or ten mm-hmm. um that's usually where i play catch up or just prep stuff for the next day or you know but i enjoy it you famously ran the studio for years with all these other guys in it um, right was that run more or less the same way i mean or were you was that just open and people could come and go and work whenever they needed to work or oh i wanted to make it like that you want to you want to be that free dude you know i'm cool i get it i eventually gave them hours i was like you have to be here between 10 and 3 Mm -hmm. like you can't just be here whenever the hell you want because we have deadlines we have stuff to get done So I was like, just give me five hours where we're all here at the same time. You can come in at eight, you can leave at six, but 10 to three, you have to be in house because we were doing tons of stuff then like archival reconstructions. We did all the scanning and layout and all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, you. I mean, I mean, that studio had a huge impact on, I mean, the list of people who work for you is pretty impressive, right? Yeah. In terms of going on to other stuff. Yeah, I, I I build giants, you know. Right. <laughs> no, there was. I mean, in that because I, you know, I, that was in Savannah, so I had Savannah College of Art and Design, and um, I would get the best people, right? You know, and there wasn't many. You know, like you know, there, that department wasn't that big, so right. You know, I had a guy, John Proctor. He knew Nick Dragata, who got meets jason marsloff you know then we got like christian donaldson and uh, like everybody nick filardi a bunch of people was matt wilson in there for a while matt wilson was one of the last guys so nick he was at the end right yeah matt came to visit and i gave him a little studio tour and then nick was leaving and um and then i matt left and i hit him up a couple days later and i was like please come. I, I know you were thinking about moving here. I, I have a job. Like mm-hmm. he was basically like my number one. Matt mm-hmm. was good from the start. He needed a little right. coaching, but Matt was really good right away. He's a, he's right. any, he, you know, he's one of the best guys. He is one of the best. And he's also, he's very, I, I mean, I respect the fact that he's very um, strict about like his time, which at times can be, like a, I wouldn't say frustrating. That's too negative. But like, he's he's very honest about like when he has time to do something or how long it's going to take or other right. things. And he, but he's also proactive. And I think these are the kind of things a lot of these guys and a lot of the guys I work with, you know, who work with you and stuff, have a somewhat similar. 
like even just this past week, we just were starting to ramp up again the next round of this Undiscovered Country book, which has been a little stop and start. And he just out of the blue sent me an email saying like, hey, I know we're going to start doing this sooner than later, but like, here's what my next two months kind of look like. And, you know, here's what it's going to look like between now and summer for me. So I'm not saying I can't do it or I don't want to do it, but like just, you know, the get it on Thursday, return it on Monday shit. Like it's not going to happen because I've got these other commitments, you know, which is for me, it's great because it's just sort of feel like, okay, good. Now I can use this to go back to the rest of the team and say, here's where we are. Here's where Matt is. You want to keep Matt, who's like one of the best in the business on this book. Well, then here's what we need to do to get script or here's what we need to get the art, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I may have had something to do with any of all that. Cause I was always so strict on schedules and getting your time and having, you know, building that. I, uh, I've come from the now more than ever. Now I'm I'll say yes to most things, even if I'm slammed because mm-hmm. I know if I'm doing eight, if I have eight projects running at one time, which I do basically right now, I'll take mm-hmm. on more stuff. Cause out of those eight, six are going to run late and right. two are going to run ho- horrendously late. Right. So I've, it's it's cool to build those schedules, and I'm not saying Matt's not wrong because Matt's been Matt knows his system, and I know my system. Mm-hmm. And but there are no more like 24 issue runs of comics. Rarely, you know what I mean. Right. Like in our right. world now, it's four to six issues, and they're then they're going to spend a freaking year on them. So right. I mean, I just did a second issue of a book that I did issue one in May. Of last year. Of last year. Correct. Right. right, right, right. I'll I'll take work, and if I get into trouble, I'll get into trouble. I'll pay for it. I'll just have to work way more. But I'm also fast. And not to mm-hmm. say that I do everything simply. Like, I'm doing action comics, and that's full model. Mm-hmm. Uh, over Federici. That stuff's beautiful. Right. And that takes me some time. But that uh, that book I work on as pages come in. So I'll work on that while I'm working on other projects. So the more modely stuff I know, like, well, this is going to take me three times as long as a page of good Asian. So I'll, I'll, I'll do it as it comes in. And then by the time mm-hmm. I get page 22, I've already got 21 done, mm-hmm. you know, and I also know I'm getting page 22, you know, probably the day of print. Right. <laughs> so I'll do it that way. I like working on um, multiple things at one time. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a f- that. I, I, I'll have my main project from eight to, to noon, and then I'll jump on that other stuff in the afternoon or that night. You were talking about that, about the extra work. Do you have anything else you wanted to add to that regarding how you schedule things out and take on more work than you really usually have to? But Sometimes you're willing to, you also are willing to pay if you get caught behind. Well, pay by pay, I mean, if I get caught behind, I'm just going to have to grind. <laughs> you don't have anybody else other than Flattery for you? Yeah, it's just me. Along that line, seeing we went back to that, is that one question of like when you're looking at pages, either when you're getting them or flatting them, or is there a point in your process when you go, I am only going to give this page a certain yeah. amount of time because of, where you are deadline or for all various factors that we've talked about that. So you do look at a page and go, 
do you ever overestimate or underestimate it? No, I, I mean, I've do done enough that? now. I mean, I know I can go into a, a book and make it look crazy, but we just, as a team, we don't have that kind of time. You know, like, I, I don't know how some of these books, like these people that are doing this super high model stuff, I don't know how they have a life to get that done. And for a monthly book, it, to me, it makes no sense. It doesn't make the story any better. Like there's, there are simpler ways to get through it and make it look good. You know, make it, make a great looking comic. I, I don't know. I just, it, for me, it's always, I, I have to guesstimate what kind of time constraints I'm going to have on that series. And I usually know during the rollout, how it's going to play out. And I'm, 99% right each time. So I know how it's how it's going to how it's going to come out and again I always default to something a little more simplistic even if it's modeled but a quicker way to model it. You know, I I, I again and I just don't prefer that really blown out style. You know, that's like pop music to me. It's just not my it's not my thing. And even with the action comics um that works more uh, that I really enjoy modeling, but they let me use my palettes. They don't step on me. And I've been stepped on with books where they're like, you got to make it brighter. And it's a superhero book. And, you know, I don't know. I've watched a lot of superhero movies and they're pretty monochromatic, you know, they'll get colorful, but you know, they're like, this isn't what it would look like. It's like, it's a fucking comic book. Just relax. Let's, (laughs) it'll be great. You know? Right. I mean, we were just talking about the Batman, and that's one thing we really didn't talk about is how right. dark the thing is. You know, it's even darker than mm-hmm. Nolan was doing, you know, and that was pretty dark and just... It, to me, it's um, pacing, right? It, it's like, you know, why do I want, like, a rainbow throughout an entire book and, like, every every character looks like they're soaking wet, shiny? Then there's no drama, so if you have mm-hmm. a whole book where everything's dark, everything's whatever, maybe it's monochromatic gray, blue, and then this moment happens, it's a much bigger moment, mm-hmm. you know, like cinematically. And I think, you know, it's, it's, but it's just different tastes, I guess. Do you feel like you have to approach coloring, getting out of the way of the reader? Because like thinking of like what Scott McCloud talks about in, you know, the panel, I mean, the gutters of letting, you know, the reader, uses their imagination and you're just there to really take them in the right direction. Do you feel take coloring? Is that the way of like, I don't want to bog down the reader, let their mind work with what you give them. Yeah. I want to, I mean, I want to entrench you in that scene, you know, through color and I, but I'll also make you look at what I want you to look at. And what Mm -hmm. that's what the artist wants you to look at. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Some fucking a lights blinking on a cell phone in the corner of the dark room. We'll, we'll make sure you see that. You know what I mean? It's, it's simple mm-hmm. stuff, but that's where I don't like the full model stuff. Cause you don't know what the hell to look at. Everything right. is, is just a, you know, an explosion of color. And, and I get it. People get excited. Like mm-hmm. I remember to go back to Matt Wilson, he did a book for Remender. What did, what was that book? Uh, it was like one of Matt's first books on his own. And it was beautiful. I can't remember what it was, but Matt, Holy cow, did he do such an insane job. And I remember going, hey, man, you got to do that for like 12 issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, you right. 
you've literally painted yourself in a corner where you've got to keep up that level and you're going to run out of time. And mm-hmm. it, through it, and I'm sure he paid the price, you know, time-wise where he had to put in a ton of hours to make it happen. But it's also that book opened up every door for that guy. You know, he mm-hmm. was insane. What he was doing, I was like, holy shit, you just, you just f- cruised by me. <laughs> you know, he, right. he's, but that's, you know, that, and I've been in those situations too, you know, with DC doing some superhero stuff where I'm like, I'm going to make this look nuts. I think I did like Superman, Batman for a, a run. Mm-hmm. And it took forever. And I was like, holy cow, I'm, I'm spending like six hours on a page. You can't make a living like that. Right. Um, and that, to me, that's it. That's the pragmatism of the work and getting it done and making a living and not killing yourself. And luckily these days, I think there, there's so many styles and, you know, now real alternative art is accepted, you know, stuff that's genuinely ugly art, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, I, which I prefer, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little easier. Now. I think it's where, where the scope is much broader. Also, your approach, does it feel like you're saving yourself physically? Because, I mean, is there a, there's a physical work that you're doing and sitting at a desk and everything. And, you know, there's groups talking about the, what an artist goes through and sort of right. their body goes through. Is that something you're dealing with too and just trying to save yourself because you got to get up tomorrow yeah. morning? And I'm just not a baby about it. Those guys need to get off their asses and do something. So, <laughs> It's the next New Jersey Lee talking. Yeah. No, I, I you know. It, it's terrible, like, being in the chair, but I'm always, like, I'm, I'm, well, you no know, one will see this on a podcast. I'm standing. You know, usually mm-hmm. when I take a phone call, I walk, I don't know, two to four miles a day while making phone calls. Like, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I'll, surfing really helps. And then I, mm-hmm. I do a therapy, you know, I get crazy sports therapized you know i've got a girl that beats me up you know every week and mm-hmm. i stretch like crazy and i know what what i need to do to not feel like hell in that chair because mm-hmm. it, it is it'll beat you up like sleepless nights i mean it, it takes a toll if i don't do what i should be doing so like being right. active getting in the water is what saves my life mm-hmm. um, and that lately i've been going with my son he's big into free climbing and it's hard as hell, but man, I feel so good after that. It just stretches you out and like, you have to move, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you're, or if you get out of the chair and then go lay on the couch, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice, but it is, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's white collar as white collar gets. I, I hate to bitch about it. Cause there's people that actually work for a living, but it, it is, uh, it does take a toll, but honestly, if you balance it with good stuff, you're fine. And I have to. You know, like I do a core thing every day. Do I want to do mm-hmm. it? No, but it makes me feel uh, 30, 40% better. Yeah, that's that's how I get around it. And um, But I've had years where I didn't, where I just sat there and got fat and felt like hell. And I'm not a spring chicken. <laughs> well, that's one of the beauties of being around a long time is that, like you said, I mean, it's like, I think at any moment, like I might have like, I think I have like 24 projects like technically like on my docket at any one time i mean at my highest points in vertigo days like i think everybody had what three to four monthly books and maybe yeah. you had a handful of mini series and you might have had a couple of graphic novels on the go but you know they could take two years you know i mean I, 
I, I probably three acts or more like the typical workload, but it's because like you said, it's like, I can look at this and say like, okay, this is, you know, it's never, it's never the thing that's like right in front of you. That's the problem. It's like being able to project down the road, you know, it's not issue one. That's the problem. It's issue four. That's going to be the problem or issue 17. That's going to be the problem. Cause you can right. look at a calendar and say, okay, this is how long it's going to take. This is where we are. This is how you're producing this isn't going to get better. It's only going to get worse. So like, what are we going to do now to kind of mitigate? But, you know, a lot of people don't want to, they want to just do it and try to get it done and get, you know, it's like, that is one of the benefits of having done it a long time is to be able to just look at like a slightly longer term view about some of that stuff. Yeah. The physical nature of it, it doesn't seem like it for a job that's not particularly physical. It's definitely, you know, you see the toll on, people like and when we see these people year in and year out and maybe you only see them once a year i mean there's some people that keep their shit together and seem to do it and there's other people you're like wow like what happened you know there's like what happened to you this year you know yeah you have to have a balance i mean like you're right i mean it took 25 years to probably took me 20 years to realize that balance fully Mm -hmm. and that's the other thing like i got you know bat when i got into it I was one of the early digital guys, right? I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't many of us. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of had carte blanche, like work was pretty easy to get. Then when every, now everyone has a, you know, a Cintiq or a tablet or Photoshop, I got really nervous about that. And then it was, the, it got way more competitive, but now I've noticed, I've noticed there's even more work because I think a lot of those people, they didn't want to put in the five years, maybe it's five years to get really fast mm-hmm. and, and now they're out or they're too slow or they're, or they're, they're mo- over modeling things and spending too much time. And they realize this sucks because it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, eight hours on a page is the most unfulfilling thing ever. A lot of them just fell by the wayside. They just can't put the time in the chair or they just don't have the discipline to, to get it done at home. So and a lot of people don't work well at home. I, I, I do. It's definitely, I can totally relate. I mean, I, I've been doing it home now for seven years and I, I would say I'm used to it. I don't like it. I'm not happy doing it. I've never gotten into the spirit of the kind of, like you said, I mean, I, I'm very regimented about the time that I work and the time I don't work, but yeah, I, it just like, I need like the interaction. I need the people. I miss like the office drama. I miss the navigating the waters of like all of that kind of stuff. And I think I probably always will at this point, like if I haven't gotten used to it now. So even watching all these people in the last two years kind of grapple with working from home and everybody was like, Oh, we're just working from home. It's fun. And you have freedom. And it's like, uh, it's, it's an adjustment for sure. You know, and it, and some people, I don't feel like personally I've ever fully adjusted to it. And I don't know that I ever will, but, yeah. but I, I don't think I could last in an office like now anymore either. So. Yeah, because yeah. an office is is just a big time waster, right? You just you're right. conversation. Right. It's good, it's healthy, but you know, a third of your day is wasted. Um, yeah. For me, yeah. I'll go out. I'll go to a fucking dive bar or go see a, mm-hmm. a show or you know, go see music. You know, I always I'm always trying to get out of the house at least three times a week, if not mm-hmm. more. Because even my girlfriend's always like, why do you got to go out? And I'm like, because I've been here. But right. I don't office again. I, I don't. I'm good. I like my alone time. You right. know, just being quiet, getting it done, locking into that zone. 
Cause that's the thing. If I don't start right away in the morning, say I wake up and I don't know, my son's car breaks down and I got to go fix it. I'm screwed that day. I'll never be able to dial back. Yeah, in. I'm too. Yeah. I'm the same. Like, I just feel like I'm chasing those hours, like for the rest of the day or the rest yeah. of the week or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's tough, but, and I've spent many years where you get behind and then it drives you crazy mentally where now I just, I have a I'm better at turning it off, but I mean, I always do snippets of work all the time, even on weekends, I'll work till noon. Why not? I, I like mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. Off morning you know wake up and do some pages or you know do corrects just i feel like i i need to feel like i've done something so i can just go relax like i feel guilty if i'm just if i do if i have a day that i've done nothing it's pretty mm-hmm. rare like people who are starting off they got their day job and then they're switching gears right. and trying to be creative and trying to promote a career but like what stephen king talks about is like he writes every day because you're you have the luxury of being in the zone and you determine your body gets used to it. I think your mind and body gets used to being, having whatever rewards come from putting in four hours of knowing that you, maybe you got ahead of a, a problem. Maybe you just got ahead of on your schedule. So now it frees up more time for a bit creativity, but you maintain that schedule allows, you know, just allows the muscles to just sort of, they don't, they don't get, I don't know they stay there they keep getting used and they don't start going oh now we can just mm-hmm. sit on the couch or whatever and i can see like when you're you get thrown off your schedule do you nowadays instead of deal with the frustration do you just like i'm gonna write today off and jump right back into the pool tomorrow i mean have you like gotten to that point like that maturity or that sort yeah. of awareness i'll blow off the whole day i'll, oh, I'll go i'll jump yeah. in the car and like i'll say i'll go to i'm going to lagoon i'll go surf i'm just gonna screw off i'll work tonight I'll get in his own later and then, yeah. you know, get on it tomorrow. But I, I never get too far behind because I, I know what that does to me mentally. Like I've, I've got my quota each day and if I usually I'll hit it 95% of the times and 90% I'll pass it because I'll, that night I'll go, I might as well get ahead, get ahead. Mm-hmm. What's the worst mm-hmm. thing I'm going to do? Get ahead. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody will think you're like this, you know. Well, we do, we do, we do. Believe me, we do. <laughs> but no, I, I say all you do is. I jokingly say this about Lee. I don't know if I said it to him. I've said it on other things. It's like Lee is the most unprofessional, professional person in comics. That like when you meet him personally and spend time with him, he can really push a lot of your buttons. He can be relentlessly sarcastic, funny, borderline offensive, et cetera, et cetera. But there's very few people I've come across in 20 years plus doing this that are more professional when it comes to, you know, being on the job, hitting deadlines, exceeding the deadlines, doing it like collegially, doing it cooperatively, doing it collaboratively. I mean, I, I honestly, I was thinking about it leading up to this. I'm thinking, I, I mean, I can think of the guys like, you know, I was lucky enough to work with like a Joe Cuber. I worked with Eduardo Riso for 20 years Lee. I mean, there's other people who I love, I adore, I consider friends, et cetera, et cetera, but they don't check a lot. They don't all check all those boxes, you know, in terms of, of the professional side of stuff. Like they, they can be great at certain things, but they're late as hell or they're, you know, they can be kind of a little bit, you know, they spend too much time online sniping at people or they spend too much time getting stressed out about stupid shit that's out of their control, you know? And it's like, 
So there's this very, very, very select group of people in my experience that, you know, are in that zone. And Lee is such an enigma, not an enigma, but such a funny, there's a, there's a dichotomy there of like the Lee that, you know, if you go out and hang out and spend time with and have beers with and all the rest of it. And then this other guy that he's been talking about now, I wanted to have you on here like the first thing because it is fascinating to me that how somebody who can act like such a total jackass can be <laughs> such an amazing, talented, professional guy who's like saved my ass like more times than I can count in my career and you could never pay back like the professional debts I owe you. Will, are we about to kiss? <laughs> are we about, are you about to kiss put, me? Put, put, your, put your hand up to the screen. You about exactly. to kiss me? Like, yeah, but like see, I, 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 for, for years, I spent years like at the Lee Wrangler at like San Diego when he would be, we'd all be hanging out and he would start to like cross some line and I'd have to like be like, hey, you know, can we like tone this down a little bit? And there was one year famously when I wasn't there and people were calling me saying, oh, my God, you, why aren't you here? Like, Lee just said X, Y, or Z, or he just did this. It's like, you, you need to, can you, you know, like, literally people texting me saying, like, what, 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 should, I, what should we do? Yeah, that was a, uh, that was just like, that uh, was a higher testosterone count back yeah, then. Yeah, we all, were, we all were guilty of that, for sure. I'd have my yeah. morning wake up feeling that dread i'm like oh i'd send it everybody why, oh, did, yeah. why did i smash the bottle of jack daniels all over torello and darwin <laughs> oh i know the magician you know that magician character i know but yeah but anyway well we don't have to we don't have to kiss but that's all that's all 100 accurate we're lucky to work in this business so my theory is i think this is just my speculation. I feel like I probably 40% of the work I get is because they know I'll get it done. Maybe I wasn't their first choice visually, but they know, you know what? He'll do a good job and he'll get it done. We don't have to worry about him. We can just go to bed. He'll finish it. Mm-hmm. Because, and I, I want to save deadlines. I want to save the book. I want to get it mm-hmm. out. And again, it, and I want the money. Mm-hmm. You know, This is a job. So the more I do, the more I make. And um, I have, I have expensive hobbies. I've right. really been in fentanyl. Have you heard of that? <laughs> Using it or cook, cooking with yeah. it? Or what are you doing? <laughs> I cook it. I mainline it right up. That shit the, is good. You're the Orange County king of fentanyl. It's good. It, it keeps you skinny. It gives you energy. It's nice. It does keep you skinny, that's for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, you know. But, yeah, that's, that is true because years ago, Axel Alonzo, who I work with and you work with and know quite well, I mean, he, he, his big mantra was always like, this is commercial publishing. Like, don't get it twisted. We can make these books great. He's worked on great books. He's done amazing stuff. At a certain point, he used to just be like, look, you got to ship it. Like, you got to get these in. They got to come out. If you didn't get it this month, like, let's get it next month. Like that, you know, I mean, as like a younger person in his business, like that was a huge impact on me. Just the idea that like, you know, they're not all home runs. And like, you sometimes, sometimes it isn't what you want it to be, but like, let's get it next time. But let's get it because otherwise it doesn't mean anything if it comes out yeah. you know, once a year. It's like, who cares? It can't be too precious about it. I mean, that's right. for like the graphic novel you're going right. to do that you spend four years on. It's, it's, it's tough. Everyone wants to do the best they can, but um, 
you know, it's just an easily digestible story, 20 minute read, move on to the next one. You know, it's, but yeah, I mean, Axel's right in that way, but I mean, I still like a beautiful book. Sure. Uh, and then 99% of them are, but yeah, it's good to keep in mind. Were you a fan? Were you Me? a reader growing up and no. had that? Yeah. No. Mad Magazine, okay. Wacky Packages. That was the closest I could get to it. I liked, uh, I liked stop motion stuff, you know, Rankin Bass, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I never, uh, I was never really into it. The, I think the first book I read was the first book I did. I had an idea. I, I, I got into, one of my first series was Green Arrow. I loved it. I thought it was such a good book. I had no idea. I just, mm -hmm. I didn't have friends that read. Um, I grew up in a small town. It was just, it was never there. I never really took it seriously either because comics, you know, I'll probably get hate for this, but I mean, they kind of were cheesy back in the day and they didn't look, they didn't look great. You know, like when I start, when I was getting into it, what really pu pushed me over the edge was uh, Spawn and how insane that book looked. So for mm -hmm. me, as a, like an art school kid, I, that, I was like, I wanted, I wanted on that. I don't want in on like a Jim Aparo Batman, mm -hmm. but like a McFarlane Spawn, please. Mm -hmm. And especially what they were doing color-wise, it, it looked, it, it, I mean, that book was insane. That changed the game, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and again, it was also like, um, could I pencil? Yeah, would it take me 10 years to get good? Maybe maybe meaning good uh i was too slow inking i was too slow color made sense i could get through pages and i knew i could be better than 90 percent of the people that were doing it because it back the color pretty much was terrible back then yeah you and know, the digital stuff was big too you were definitely early on because i mean even in those early days when we first were working on stuff you know trish Mulvihill was doing hundred bullets like she would still like literally when Riso's pages would come in i'd make two copies on like linen paper you know reduced yeah. down to nine by eleven linen paper or eight and a half by eleven linen paper and they had special reams of this paper set aside for the colorist and she would come in by hand collect the two copies and then take them home use like doc martin ink on them or something yeah, yeah. and then in indicate like in the margins the color like the code, co the color codes, and then we'd send them off to like Heroic Age or these other places, and maybe Xylenol too to do the separations. You know, Xylenol like later. On, you know, yeah. it was uh, Graphic Color Works first uh, over in mm -hmm. Ireland. Mm -hmm. um, right, right. Because I did hand guides for like into like three or probably into four years. I did it, but I was doing mm -hmm. digital at into my, like probably my third year because mm -hmm. I. Once I saw Hollingsworth was doing it, mm -hmm. I was like, I knew I had to get a machine and go. And even Trello was like, you've got time, man. It's not going to mm -hmm. turn over for a while. But I, I definitely wanted to be ahead of that. And um, Matt was a huge help. He was really cool about it. And uh, mm -hmm. he gave me a lot of, a lot of, got me out of a lot of binds. But even that for the first book I worked on came out, you know, that I did digitally. I mean, it took me forever. Holy crap. I was like, how am I going to mm -hmm. do? I mean, a page would take, you know, six, seven hours. And then, then I got, then I got a partner to do backgrounds that didn't work. I guess it was the earliest days of figuring out flatting. Mm -hmm. And then, then I told that partner, well, you, you just 
do normal color. And then I'll come in and model everything and change the palettes. That's sort of how it started. I, I don't know that. I don't know who had flatters then. I might have been the first. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Because yeah, there was a lot of people that weren't making the transition. So like Trish, it took her a while to like really start to teach herself later. and learn years yeah. later. And then even some of the people, I remember like Pam Rambo, colored preacher. Right. Like we just for whatever her. reason, wasn't going to do it or didn't want to do it or couldn't figure out how to do it. And like, I remember having conversations with her on the phone that were like in hindsight kind of make you feel bad years later. Cause she was just like, I was like, look, I don't, you know, like we, we don't have any work. Like we can't hire you. Even if I wanted to hire you, I couldn't hire you. Like DC got to a point where they wouldn't let us hire people doing hand stuff anymore. And it didn't you know, make and it was, sense. No. And it, it got to be, it was, yeah, it was really like sort of, yeah. And it's like, I don't, you know, is she still in the business? Does she still do stuff? I don't even know, but it's like, she did like the whole run of preacher. And it was like, cause I said, we set preacher and I think right. we did hundred bullets but that. Cause I looked at that as a business opportunity, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll train mm-hmm. some people to do this and then we can start stepping for them. Right. Right. But, you know, it was one of those things that, and it did pay a lot more to do it all, but it took so much longer until, you know, we figured out the whole flatting game. And I'm sure there was, you know, that was a high uh, thought then. I'm sure there was 10 of us probably that all came to that conclusion or probably within the same few years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd like to ask Matt and, uh, you know, early guys like Olaf about that. I'm sure they were doing it. Because mm-hmm. Olaf, Olaf kind of, he's the guy. He's probably the godfather of all that, in, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I'm sure at Wildstorm, he had flatters. I, I bet you Alex would know. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. there were the studio, you know, like Wildstorm had those guys coming through there, like Jeremy Cox and, you know, all those guys that sort of, you know, were getting like this institutional knowledge that was being passed down from like Sinclair and some of those other guys. Yeah, they were yeah, the best. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was the thing. I know, and that's the thing. I, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, I feel bad about like when I, you know, the changes at places like DC, it's like this loss of like the institutional knowledge like that is definitely, I mean, it's yeah, but definitely we a have, loss, you know, we have, we have YouTube. Yeah. Well, there you go. You know, YouTube. listen, if you, have, if you have like a tumor, I could watch a video and take that tumor out of you. <laughs> I was just watching it this morning about fixing this garage door that I have down. So as soon as this is over, I'm going over to Home Depot getting this part and I'm going to fix this garage door that I have. that's suddenly like not working. You didn't need an institution to figure that out. So you point you're right. You're right. was wrong. I know it was, you know, boomer, you got to get on with it. <laughs> quit, quit farming uh, whale oil to light your quit. lantern. Your horse whip buggy <laughs> operation. Yeah. Uh, you sound like a lunatic. I know. Sorry. So it was sort of, basically a guessing game back then you didn't have a mentor really or people everybody was sort of figuring i think out so but times olaf and, was the guy though we knew they that they were to do you know they had they were ahead of it but you're right there was no one to really talk to i think hollingsworth's the only one i got to talk to and then i just i had another friend who was really good in photoshop and this is photoshop one there was no it was just photoshop you know first version no layers. You had to work in channels. No history. You know, on a shitty Mac Two CI that had like forty megs of storage. <laughs> you know, like 
like eight megs of RAM, you know, it, it was, it was that, then that was tough too, following the tech, right? Like when the G three came out where I was like, Holy cow, this thing's fast. I don't have to, you know, wait, you do a fill and you'd wait three seconds. So you're just waiting. It would take me, I started PDFing books. I had a friend in, in publishing who they, they would PDF. And I remember talking like Allison Gill at DC and I was like, you know, if we PDF this, you could save rip time, but it take, took forever. And you, you know, it's, you can't edit the PDF, but, but it would take me, I don't know, two and a half hours just to make a PDF just in runtime. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to get paid to burn CDs. Right. Right. <laughs> Pay for scanning. <laughs> no, I remember the CDs. scanning CDs. No, we used to send file on zip drives. There's iQuest. iQuest, then zip disks, then CDs, and I had a CD burner. Oh, buddy. Then I had a scanner. Oh, my God. I when, we, when I first started, they would take the... We used to have bike messengers that would run the pages down to this place rainbow it and like shoot it onto photo paper. Like, you know, like they literally would, there were bike messengers taking the original art and biking it to this other place in like midtown that would shoot like photostat all of the pages. And then they would send you back these giant rolls of this like thick, shiny photo paper crap, you know, and yeah, like check the yeah, proofs yeah. and stuff. Ripping the film. Right. Right. Cause I, we were scanning uh, hundreds of pages a month. I bought a scanner and, um, Vanessa hit me up from production. She's like, if you buy a scanner, I will pay you to scan. And I was like, mm-hmm. done getting an intern scan. Actually, I, a friend of mine, I was like, move here. You're my scan guy. Hey Lee, thank you very much for coming on and, giving us some insight into the history and also the process that you go through. So, All right. Thanks, thanks man. Thanks, All right. Lee. Much. All right. Be talking to you later. Thanks, buddy. See you. See you. Bye.